Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now. Your inside look into the best of vice. It's Friday, April 13th. I'm Sophie Casas. Today, we're taking a close look at how the far right feeds on male insecurity and how understanding this better can possibly help us combat right-wing extremism. It's no secret that violent American extremists tend to be men, right? From alt-right foot soldiers to militia movement diehards to your archetypical skinheads. And while this isn't surprising in the world we live in, it is definitely interesting and something important to explore. So vice journalist Ali Conti spoke with a sociologist at Stony Brook University named Michael Kimmel, who specifically looks at the role of gender and masculinity on the far right. Kimmel just dropped a new book called Healing from Hate, How Young Men Get Into and Out of Violent Extremism. I sat down with Ali to learn more. You spoke to author Michael Kimmel about his new book, Healing from Hate, How Young Men Get Into and Out of Violent Extremism. What's the central idea in this book? The central idea of this book is that out of all the academics who are studying violent extremism, no one's actually looked at it through the specific lens of gender. So he's trying to figure out why so many of the people who fall into violent extremism are men and what that means, and how we can use the fact that they are men to try to draw them out of it. So what are some of the main reasons that it's primarily young men being radicalized in this way? It's an interesting question. I think that in today's society, men haven't been given a real chance to kind of enact their masculinity. If you think about it, they're inheriting a terrible economy, they're not able to be breadwinners, move out of their parents' houses have wives, children that they support. They're not fighting in any sort of world war. So this kind of provides them with a sort of mission quest that they can, you know, engage in from behind a computer screen without much effort or much capital uh, to their name. So how has the role of the internet changed the way that these young men are getting pulled into these far-right communities? Kimmel's book kind of talks about what I would think of as a more antiquated version of being recruited into the far right. It's talking about, you know, young men in in Europe and Sweden and Germany who are, you know, literally standing on a street corner and getting approached by a recruiter who then takes them out into the woods and kind of acts like a big brother to them. And then there's the whole ritualistic shaving of the head and they start wearing the Doc Martens and stuff like that. So what's happening in the U.S. now with the so-called alt-right is obviously a very different model of recruitment. And Kimmel didn't actually get into this in his book. And I, I feel like this is something that should be further studied by perhaps another sociologist. But whether or not this community is going to be able to sustain its numbers because there isn't really that sense of community that you might get out of the old model of 
joining an extremist movement. It's all mediated by a computer screen. So these young men who are looking for a sense of belonging and a sort of aesthetic that they share that communicates that they are to be feared, none of that is present in the new model that's in the United States. So I think that the numbers are big right now, but there's probably a lot of in and out. I don't know if they're actually retaining members, and that's something that we'll only be able to really study five, ten years down the line. So the internet is kind of the big hotspot for this kind of radicalization, but are there physical locations that are kind of hotspots, and and what are the factors that make these places more of a breeding ground for white nationalism and far-right communities? Sure. So there is still an offline contingent of people who self-identify as white nationalists, usually based out of Appalachia. The biggest leader of that contingent of people lives in Indiana. That group actually just fell apart recently, um, oddly enough, through a a love triangle gone wrong. So (laughs) it's actually kind of up in the air right now what will become of these people now that their leader is kind of out of the picture but the the factors that tend to lead people to join this this movement, you know, same things that made disaffected white voters vote for Donald Trump, perhaps unsurprisingly, feeling left behind, feeling like no one is listening to them, feeling like they're hopeless in, in the economy, and just, you know, knowing that someone will listen to them. Some charismatic guy shows up and says, you know, no, you're not a loser. You're actually, you have the chance to be a part of something. That's very irresistible to somebody who doesn't have a lot else going on. And how common is it for people to join these communities and then eventually leave and kind of reassimilate back into the mainstream? Well, according to Kemmel, it's it's quite often, but the the time scale is much different in Europe. And he did a lot of his research in Europe, and he was saying that most of the people, you know, who join neo-Nazi groups in Europe are out entirely by the time they're sixteen. And that's very different from what we're seeing with the so-called alt-right in the United States, where people are joining in their 20s, and we're not sure when they're going to leave yet, because it's something we're sort of grappling with for the first time. And what's the role of actual far-right ideology for people who are joining these communities versus just a need or desire for community, belonging, to prove oneself, to prove one's masculinity? So the role of ideology itself is actually pretty minimal which is a good thing if you think about it, because you don't have to try to deprogram somebody who buys into this. You can kind of just present them an alternate model through which they can enact their masculinity, Uh, you know, literally help them get a girlfriend, help them get a job. That's a lot easier than trying to deprogram someone. So the role is actually very minimal. It's almost a justification for for wanting to go out and, and act violently. You said that Kimmel's book talks a lot about emasculation, and it does seem like sort of sexual entitlement and sexual resentment is a big part of why it's young men being pulled into these communities or groups rather than young women. Can you talk more about that? So Kimmel's book doesn't specifically address what I would call the sexual incompetence aspect of all of this, but some experts are recognizing that this kind of engraved entitlement towards uh, getting a girlfriend, having sex, is kind of a motivating factor for some of these people. In fact, the Southern Poverty Law Center released a report on alt-right killers in February, and they actually included Elliot Roger, the 2014 Isla Vista mass shooter, as among them, and actually the first person to be uh, an alt-right killer. 
And if you recall, he released a manifesto talking about his horrible, twisted life that he had to do this because women wouldn't pay attention to him, essentially. So if this issue is less about ideology and more about sort of young, disaffected men seeking a sense of belonging and and proving oneself, then how do we fix it? So it's going to take a massive cultural shift to make this unappealing for, for young men. I mean, even if you just were to fix income inequality in the United States, which makes a lot of people move toward white nationalism, that probably wouldn't be enough, right? Because you look at places like Scandinavia that don't have the problems that we have in the United States with the economy, and people are still becoming neo-Nazis, so that's simply not enough. Obviously, you can't mandate that women be nice to these guys so they don't shoot up their high schools. That's not a tenable solution either. So trying to figure out how to make it so that these men don't feel the need to publicly display their masculinity and so that they don't feel entitled just because they are born men, I don't know what the Band-Aid is to make this stop happening. So to end off this interview, I'm curious, how did you get into this topic and how did this become your beat and what has it been like reporting and diving deep into this subject matter? I used to cover internet subculture. And then I went to the Republican National Convention in 2016 and started getting into covering uh, right-wing politics and thought I had two very disparate beats for a long time and then kind of had the light bulb moment in which I realized, you know, these things have definitely converged and are basically the same beat now. And as I've gone deeper into it, I always was kind of waiting for that moment where I would hit a wall as a woman and, you know, not be able to get access to these, these characters But I never hit that wall, and I think that's why I've kind of realized that this is a gendered thing and that a big reason why these people are acting this way is because they've never had an empathetic woman ask them how they feel about anything or even really interacted with women in any meaningful way whatsoever. So it's actually been kind of a boon rather than a hindrance to be a woman because I've had, you know, a lot of people open up to me in a way that I didn't really expect. And these characters are receptive to the media? Honestly, yes. Because, I mean, these are very disaffected people who are ignored oftentimes by, you know, their families, their their peers in school, society at large. Honestly, it's much easier to talk to somebody who's a part of the so-called alt-right than it is to talk to somebody on the opposite side of the ideological spectrum, like, say, an Antifa for instance, you know, where they are very much closed off to media. And oftentimes you kind of have to be careful that you're not being taken advantage of or, you know, being used as a mouthpiece for for hate. But no, these guys are typically pretty excited about, about speaking to the media. To read Ali's full article, go to vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening, and make sure to tune in again on Monday for another Vice Guide to Right Now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.